I'm Robert Scherzer, Clinical Associate Professor, University of British Columbia, Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and Director of the West Coast Glaucoma Center in Vancouver, BC. And we're talking about glaucoma with episode number 12 for mid-August 2010 with my guest Paul Foster from Moorfields Eye Hospital. Today's topic, Epidemiology and Management of Angle Closure Glaucoma. Please check the show notes of this podcast for definitions and references related to this topic. You will also find links to follow me on Twitter, where I am Rob Scherzer, my glaucoma EMR and tech blog, wholewaterrob.com, and my website, westcoastglaucoma.com. Okay, welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much. And uh, first I thought we'd talk about the management of angle closure glaucoma and perhaps starting with a bit about the epidemiology so that we could see that we could be treating the underlying mechanism Mm. as sort of the ideal approach for treating any of the glaucomas. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the the data that we have for the the, the size of the problem, um, you probably look at the number of people that are affected worldwide, and Harry Quigley's looked at uh, the number of people with glaucoma in 2010 and projected to 2020. And um, essentially what we see is that about uh, 45 million people currently have open-angle glaucoma, and 15 million people or so have angle closure with glaucoma to optic neuropathy. So it's about a three-to-one split, uh, with POAG being the, the more common. But when you look at the number of people blinded, it's more of a one-to-one ratio. So, you know, there's as many people blind from POAG as there are from PACG. When we also look at... Uh, so the, the implication there is if you have angle closure, you're much more likely to go yeah, blind from it. Just the back of the envelope right. figure, probably three times more likely to go blind from, from the disease. And we see that in, in a variety of population studies. So it, it looks like it's a more rapidly progressive, visually destructive form of, of disease. Right. Um, the, the, you know, the, most people, if, if, if you had to name a really bad type of glaucoma, you'd probably go for... Um, you know, neovascularization or something like that. But se- the, the key thing about secondary glaucomas is that usually they're unilateral. Um, you know, the, the uveitic and neovascular, they're usually unilateral problems. So they, they do have a high propensity to blind people in one eye. But angle closure is, you know, it's a bilateral condition uh, in the vast majority of cases. So, you know, that's why it's such a, uh, a problem. That's right. You know, if you think about it, though, um I guess before that statistic, I would think that angle closure, if you had to pick primary angle closure between between that and primary open angle glaucoma, you might think, oh, it would be better to have primary angle closure glaucoma because you would get an acute attack and you would be treated. Mm. That's certainly not what uh, we get no, from the blindness statistics. It, well, uh, and the, the, the key thing to realize is that... Um, Certainly from Asian data, it looks like only about one person in three or less ever gets an acute attack. So three out of four people with angle closure that's causing glaucomatous optic neuropathy don't get acute attacks. It's, a, it's an asymptomatic condition. Um, and so is that relative pupillary block, or is it some mm-hmm. other mechanism? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the figures that we have are that, that 75% of it's pupil block and 25% of it is you know, uh, a mishmash of other things. So the, the bulk of the disease is, is um, 
pupil block and, and could and should be treated by PI and PI remains the cornerstone of the management. It, you know, it's worked well for over 100 years um, in one form or another and, uh, you know, la laser iridotomy is generally a safe and effective treatment for angle closure. Um, the, the attraction of treating angle closure is that if you if you do the right things at the right time, you can take patients all the way through from having a potentially blinding disease to being cured, and in some cases being discharged from clinic, which for a glaucoma patient is a, you know, it's a major advantage. Yeah, that's true. But I guess some of that too, though, is racial, because I would say in my practice in Vancouver, most of the uh, patients I have. Uh, have angle closure and they have a, a chronic condition. There's there's no way mm. they'll be discharged from practice. Mm. Even with patent LPIs, they can easily come back the next visit with their angle closed. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that um, <clears throat> from talking to colleagues in the UK, um, uh, I've talked about the, the number of ophthalmologists in the UK versus the number of ophthalmologists mm -hmm. in Canada. I think we've got about... Um, uh, one ophthalmologist per 80,000 population. I believe that the figure here is more like uh, one per 20,000. Um, so I think that you know there are more ophthalmologists in Canada. Um, our clinics are, you know, generally very full, and we have to be very careful in you know deciding who is the who's a high priority patient to keep under follow up and who isn't. The, the the general feeling in the UK is that if people have had a PI and their angles opened. Uh, their pressure's normal, their disc and fields are normal. They're probably, you know, reasonably safe. And, and I think almost all of my colleagues would discharge them to optometric follow-up annually and ask for them to be sent back if their pressure goes up. Um, until a couple of years ago, I was keeping patients like that for, you know, general follow-up because my, my clinic runs as a research clinic as well as service. Um, but, you know, time goes by, you accumulate more patients, clinics get busier. Um, so I've started doing the same, but the, I take your point. Um, I think the people who I really feel very comfort comfortable discharging are the ones who, um, you know, we've done PIs and as time goes by, they develop some cataracts, they can't see as well, we agree that they need to have cataract surgery. Once they've had their cataract surgery, uh, their angles are wide open, 40 degrees, uh, if their pressure's normal, they're not on any medication, their discs are okay. Right. Like then, to, I'd like to say you could drive a truck through the angle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think those people truly are, you know, cured in terms of angle closure. Obviously, they, they still remain at risk of getting a, a, an open angle form of disease, but I think that probably could be picked up by optometric screening for, for pressure rises in due course for most people. And that's a good segue into this next bit, which would be, uh, should cataract surgery then be moved higher up in the, uh, in the protocol with the patient with annual closure? Mm, yeah. Um, the, the mechanism of pupil block is all to do with the size and position of the lens. So eyes with angle closure have thicker than average lenses and those lenses sit more anteriorly in a smaller eye um, so it's a you know the, the people often get confused about the term um, you know lens induced or lens related angle closure I think all 
primary angle closure is to do with the, the size and position of the lens. Um, it doesn't necessarily make the lens thicker that they've got a cataract. So, um, but if they do have a visually significant cataract, it's affecting their vision. Um, you know, patients volunteer that information to you, and the, the conversation naturally goes towards uh, a discussion of whether or not it's worth taking their lens out. And if they have angle closure, you know, their pressure's unstable. You can see some early PAS. Then I think it's a, it's, an. Uh, uh, an absolutely uh, appropriate choice of management and in fact I, th I think it's the, the definitive management of early angle closure to remove the lens so if they have a cataract why not take it out yeah good points and then the uh, logical extension of that and the possibly scary logical extension mm. of that is if there is not a visually significant cataract mm. and the mm. idea of a clear lens extraction and mm. the risks of that and whether mm. they outweigh the risks of yeah. their yeah. angle closure. That, that then becomes a very complex area to, to discuss with patients. Um, th there are many, many considerations and um, I think it's fair to say that we don't yet fully understand the role for clear lens extraction in the management of angle closure but there would also be a, a difficult one to get by ethics review boards to do as a clinical trial. Well, it's, it's interesting you mention that. The, um, the Medical Research Council in the UK is currently funding a worldwide study um, of 400 patients, 200 of whom are randomised to laser iridotomy, 200 are randomised to clear lens extraction for management of either angle closure with, with elevated pressure but normal disc or with optic neuropathy. So, um, you know, we, we are currently talking to our patients about the possibility of them having a lens extraction and asking them to commit to, to randomization. Uh, the patients are being enrolled in the UK and in various countries around East Asia. Um, we're planning to finish enrollment at the end of this year and then there'll be a three-year follow-up period. So hopefully in four and a half, three and a half years or so, we'll, we'll have an answer to the question about the role of lens extraction and, and also figures for complications and, you know, the economics is also being studied, the cost of, of doing PIs, potentially with, you know, a, a slightly, slightly less definitive effect in the longer run, possibly greater need for medication versus, um, you know, the theatre time and disposables equipment, etc. needed to do a FACO. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see which one turns out right. as the, the better treatment. I, and it's a, it's a good example of where a clinical trial really is needed. We can't Definitely. We don't pick have a the difference between, between the two treatments. No, that would uh, be, be a major contribution. That's mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. I, I guess we should touch upon uh, the idea of avoiding trabeculectomies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the standard management protocol that most people would run through, you know, they, if, they, if they identify angle closure, uh, they, they would do a, uh, do a PI, and then if the angle opens up and the pressure is still raised, they treat them medically. There are a couple of trials in, <clears throat> um, in East Asia looking at the relative performance of beta blockers and prostaglandins, and it, it looks like uh, the, the prostaglandins perform very nicely in, in angle closure, so you'd medicate them. Um, and if the pressure doesn't come down, then you'd be thinking about 
doing a, a trabeculectomy if, you know, if their disc and field are progressing. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the problem is that um, uh, eyes with angle closure being small, uh, having an anteriorly positioned lens do seem to be at higher risk of aqueous misdirection syndrome, particularly among Caucasians. Um, and therefore, a trabeculectomy really should be approached with caution. I, I, if at all possible, I prefer not to do a trabeculectomy on a phakic eye with angle closure. Um, occasionally, we have to do it, but uh, it's, it's a much more comfortable scenario to have removed the lens previously or at least considered the possibility of, of aqueous misdirection discussed it up front with, with the patients, explained the, the, you know, the possible implications of, of needing to do further laser treatment, some sort of surgical intervention, maybe going as far as, as you know, doing past plane of vitrectomy very rarely, but you know, it, it's possible. Um, so I think trabeculectomy should be used with caution. Um, the group of cases that have brought that home to me over the last year or two, we're doing a, a study of the genetics of the disease, <clears throat> and we found that uh, patients with best maculopathy seem to be at higher risk of, of uh, angle closure. Um, <clears throat> and we've had a couple of patients with best maculopathy and angle closure who have been treated elsewhere. They've had laser iridotomies. It hasn't worked. They've then had a trabeculectomy and gone into really quite profound aqueous misdirection. It, sorting out the, the eyes that have had that complication has been quite a, a challenge for both us and, and them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, caution what's, with trabeculectomy. What's the presumed mechanism <clears throat> with best maculopathy to lead to that? I think it's just because their eyes tend to be smaller. Um, and at the moment, it's just one of those pit-of-the-stomach clinical observations. We don't have anything to explain it. Um, but uh, you know there, there is there does seem to be a pattern emerging that people with retinal degenerations and angle closure, uh, if you if you manage them uh, in the same way that you know many many doctors would manage glaucoma medication and then a trabeculectomy, it's n it's not necessarily a, a smooth and happy course for the patient. Right. So this might be a scenario, and even if we don't have the data yet from that clinical trial, mm. if a patient is phakic they fail to respond to the iridotomy, mm. then removing the lens yeah, should yeah. still be highly considered as the next step. I mean, my, my usual protocol is that, um, you know, if, they're, if they've got a closed angle, we do a PI. If they've still got some angle closure, I discuss the use of either pilocarpine or uh, a laser iridoplasty. Mm -hmm. And if we've gone past that discussion and tried one or both of them and that still hasn't opened up the angle fully, uh, their pressure's causing problems or their disc is, is progressing, then I'd be, I'd be really quite keen to take the lens out. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's, you know, you have to approach any sort of intraocular surgery with your eyes open. These eyes are small, they're prone to a variety of complications, and the surgery, you know, for, for the less experienced surgeon, the, the surgery can be challenging. Um, so it's not something to approach uh, uh, w without due consideration, but you know, most of the time, taking the lens out—if you're, you know, if you're a capable and experienced surgeon—it's a—it's a good way of controlling the disease. Yeah. That's great. I think we've covered the topic admirably. Good. No, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. That's our show for today. Be sure to subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so you won't miss an episode. 
or follow me on Twitter to learn more about upcoming episodes and other news about glaucoma, electronic medical records, and technology. I produce Talking About Glaucoma approximately once each month or as time permits in AAC format that includes chapter markers and show notes and MP3 format that does not. Once again, on Twitter, I am Rob Scherzer. My blog is wholelotofrob.com where you can also leave comments about the show. And my website is westcoastglaucoma.com. Look for me everywhere and follow me so we can interact. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping yourself informed.